we are finishing up a sermon series that we began uh, earlier this year, just looking at who we are as a church. What is our mission? Why do we exist as Madison UMC? We started by looking at Jonah's story, wishing and hoping there had been a Jonah chapter 5, that Jonah would have stayed and discipled the people of Nineveh. That's what we're called to do, build faithful disciples. The second part of our mission statement says we serve Jesus Christ. And last week, Ben walked us through the many ways we can not only serve through our church family, but also he reminded us about the everyday ways that you and I can serve Jesus. Now listen, I've gotten enough of your phone calls and enough of your emails this week. And yes, Ben is suspended without pay uh, because he mentioned restaurants that are not open on Sundays and got us hoping for a Chick-fil-A biscuit or bread pudding at Trace Grill. So, Ben, Joe, no, Billy Beard. What? Okay, if you were here last week, you'll get that joke. <sighs> what we're going to do today is finish up that series, going back to that first point of building faithful disciples, going back to the book of Jonah, back to the first chapter, and seeing for us, is there more there? Yes, to disciple, we have to to stay, but what else is there for us in living out this mission together? First, we want to look at what's God's view? What is God's view of the people of Nineveh? And really, what's this picture, this, this picture that God has for everybody that's outside of his kingdom? Because it, it's painted here on this chapter and in, and in every chapter of this book. Well, my daughter Kate was very young. One of her favorite things to do was to either stick her hands in the freezer for a season or to grab ice and hold it. And then she would find me somewhere in the house and she would put her hands on my face or on my neck or on my arms. And I remember one time when she was having fun doing that, freezing her father, I said to her, you're a mean little girl. And she responded quickly, that's my job. Uh, <laughs> Jonah's been given a job. He's been given a calling by God. He has been sent. We're going to come back to that word. He's been sent by God to do this work to reach these people. And you see it here, and you see it in chapter 4. He is running from what he is called to be and to do. He is missing God's view of the Ninevites six different times. Six different times in this short book, God calls Nineveh great. We, we just sang it this morning as we opened worship together, that all the world's great peoples might know. These people, great? We talked two weeks ago about how they're a warring people and the, the crazy things they did to people that they conquered. I didn't tell you about the child sacrifice that was in their pagan practices or the other wildness of the rituals in their religion. These people considered great, pagans, and killers, but apparently Psalm 139 applies to them as well. That God has crafted them in his image, and he is still having a heart for those whom he has formed and created. And as, you, as, we, as we go through this, this passage, after passage, after passage, bumping into this word, great, 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 of course the Lord hates sin. But could it be that God's trying to remind Jonah of how he views those who are outside of his kingdom? 
Jonah throughout this entire book is trying to change God's way of thinking. And throughout this entire book, God is trying to change Jonah's way of loving. Yes, sin has to be dealt with. Yes, sin has to be repented of. We're going to get that to that in just a minute. But here we're getting a great picture of the love of God for those who have gone astray. Decades ago, Yonggi Cho was one of the leading pastors, say leading pastors, probably had the largest church in the entire world in Korea. He had grown that church, had done incredible discipleship in that church. But he would confess to you then that he still struggled with issues with Japan. Having gone through the World War II experience and knowing what that country had done to members, not just of his church, but of his family through that experience, Yonggi Cho, the pastor of the largest church in the world, still struggled. But at the push of some of his church members, when he had received an invitation to go preach in Japan, he finally relented and went. And at this large conference filled with Japanese pastors, now think about this, to this day, from that point to this point, Japanese, Japan is 1% Christian. 1%. What an opportunity to share the gospel then with these people who, who are these pastors too, to encourage them and to pour into them as they try to reach a people group that is 99% unevangelized. And so he gets up to preach to these pastors at this conference, and here's what he preaches. I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. And he steps back. And one pastor gets up and comes to the feet of Cho, falls at his feet, and says, please forgive us. And then another pastor does the same. Until that whole room is at his feet, praying and crying and asking for forgiveness. And then the other three phrases of the sermon. I love you. I love you. I love you. A heart changed. A heart, a heart turned. Because that, that's the heart of God. And that's a picture of God's, not just God's love, but also God's plan. It is always to reach. It is always sending for people to reach. Yes, that person in the next cubicle to you at work. Yes, that certain family member. Yes, that person that you have to do tailgating with that you just can't stand. There's no telling what all was in the heart of Jonah when he heard he had to go there. And God's trying to desperately change his heart and saying, no, I don't condone sin, but what if? And maybe that's why he's calling him great as well. Maybe that's why he's calling him great, because what could happen if these people changed. And we're going to come back to that later. Not only do we see God's love, but we see God's plan. And again, as we said last time, God's plan is always to stay with. There was no Jonah chapter 5. There's no archaeological, historical, or biblical evidence that Jonah stayed. He said his five little words in chapter 3, and he left. He missed the opportunity to stay and disciple. What is it that John's gospel tells us of Jesus in chapter 13? He loved them to the very end. If we disciple, we stay to the very end. We do that hard work of not only evangelizing, but doing that discipleship work and staying. My, my Uncle Don, my, my, uh, my mother's sister's husband, passed away uh, three weeks ago. 
they had his memorial last week. I wasn't able to go. It was in New York City. Several of the family got to go. But Don uh, had been an alcoholic early in his life, but had been 30-plus years uh, sober. And somebody came up from AA to give a report or to share a, 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 a eulogy at the, at the memorial service. And, here's, and I got to see a transcript. Here's what he basically said. Don saved my life. It wasn't just Don that saved my life, but Don saved my life. Uh, 22 years ago, I came to my first AA meeting, and I met Don. 22 years ago, I started calling Don and asking him if he would help me through this. 22 years every day. Now, I'm a liberal arts major, so I'll let you do the math on that. <laughs> 22 years every day. I don't have time for that. I can't do, I've got so many other commitments, so many family commitments, so many work. Discipleship takes time. Discipleships is the church saying, I will stay. I've told you before, one of Sarah's uh, family's favorite people on the planet, they, he was a, 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 seminar, a seminary president, and when his wife uh, was, was, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, he stayed with her. And that, that whole school begged him. There are people that can care for her. You come and do this work. You need to write and you need to lead us. And he wouldn't do it. He did the right thing. He stayed. That's what we're called to do is stay. This past summer, I was reminded of another story on Sarah's side of the family where there's somebody in that family who does not believe in the Lord at all. Used to be a vibrant believer. But years ago, turned away from the faith, even to the point of resenting Sarah's grandfather, this man who was a trailblazing missionary under the threat of violence, repeatedly sharing the gospel with the people of Brazil. But he resented his father, was estranged from his father. And then he watched his father take care of his mother while she was stricken with a heart condition. How he stepped away from ministry and walked with her, loved her for years. It's the first time he could say in decades, you know what, I love my dad. Why? Because he stayed. It's hard work to do discipleship. Jonah probably missed that. We're reminded here again, as much time as it takes, as taxing as it can be, this is the Lord's plan to change our hearts on how we love those who are outside and remind us again as we are building faithful disciples, it's that hard job, that hard work of staying with and committed to people. Secondly, if you're following along in your notes, there's something here too about God's view of Jonah. And when we say God's view of Jonah, it's also God's view of us. We've seen how he views others, but how does he view Jonah? How does he view us? I've been blessed to serve on the Board of Ordained Ministry on the district level in several districts. Um, I don't know if you realize this, but a whole lot of the people we get to be pastors in the Methodist Church or second career. I didn't know if you knew that about uh, Pastor Genesee was second career. Uh, and so many, so many people have either, maybe God just put the call in their heart later in life, he can do that. We want to be open to that. Are you open to that? But also, some people would be very open and honest with our board and say, I knew it at 18. I knew it at 21. And I was running from that call. I didn't want that call for me or for my family. And so I took off from that call. But what we get here is a reminder of God's view of us and the way God deals with us. And that is that God is a God of second chances. 
He is a God who allows us that if we've, if we've stepped away, he, He's always reaching. I can't say the word because it would be offensive in church. Somebody, somebody would email me or call me on this. So I'm just going to say God is the God of a lot of conjunctions. Not the one and, not the one or, but another conjunction. Listen to these words. Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish, and he found a ship. Jonah 1.4. But the Lord sent a great wind into the sea. Just conjunction after conjunction after conjunction. Jonah fighting the push of God, but, but God saying, I'm going to fight back. I'm not giving up on you. First, it's the storm. Then I'm going to send a fish. And finally, I'll get to send you. But wherever you've been, however you've stumbled, whatever inadequacies you think you have and that God's through with you, you see it in Jonah's life, he will not stop. He is a God of second chances. Always reaching. Always ready for a new ministry. I like how one pastor put it in an article He says, do you remember when you were a kid, back in the day, when you could happily catch fireflies for an entire evening? Do you remember when money issues were handled by whoever was the banker in Monopoly? Do you remember when being old referred to anyone over 20 years of age? Remember that magic of how your uncle could make his thumb disappear with that little game that he played? Do you remember when you were finally tall enough to ride the big people rides at the amusement park or when snow was a dream come true? Well, the best part for me was how you could correct any mistake by yelling, do over. That's Jonah chapter 1. It's Jonah chapter 3. Fighting the Lord, but it's just like God to send a storm and to send a fish, and finally he gets to send Jonah. That's his view of us. You might have counted yourself out. You may have believed the lies of the accuser of the brethren, but here is God pushing back, saying, oh no, there's a second chance. What then is here for us? As you and I who are called to build disciples, what then is to be our view? We've seen God's view of the Ninevites. We've seen God's view of us. What's to be our view of others? Well, first is this commitment, this reminder that we are to be a people who are always making disciples. You cannot build up what you do not have. We talk about building faithful disciples, but the front end of that is you and I have to be be on that front line of ministry of calling people to faith. Disciples have to first be one and converted. You see that here in verse uh, 16. Uh, To be a disciple, by definition, whether we feel worthy of that or not, whether we feel equipped for that or not, we're doing some of this work on Wednesday nights, and we're going to do a couple of weeks uh, in sermons uh, following this Sunday. To be a disciple, by definition, means we are to be a disciple maker. Uh, To be a disciple is to become a disciple maker. And he does that here. He does that at the end of chapter 1 by what he says You see these people turn. And when you see him get to chapter 3, he says five little words in Hebrew, and 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left hand, they turn for a season. You and I are to be faithful. How is it that in authentic ways, natural ways, we can always have our radar up saying, Lord, could this be the time to share a word? 
could this be the time to ask if I could pray? All of us are wrapped up in this ministry. Lord, send me. Or as Rosemary uh, just beautifully prayed for us in the offertory, who am I going to send? Who am I going to send? And the answer is to be, here I am. So that's our view of others. Always, always looking, always ready, always expectant to make disciples. But then secondly, when those opportunities come, come up, Jonah 1.9 reminds us we have to be clear. They were be, he was very clear about who the Lord was. Verse 9, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord of heaven who made sea and the dry lands. He's very clear. Look, these, these people he's dealing with, They've got many gods. They don't have one God. And so he stands up to these people of a different religion, of a different area, and says, listen, I believe in not many. I'm just telling you, I believe in the one God. And by the way, not only did they believe in many gods, but they believe that what we're seeing right here is an accident. Everything you see in time and space is just a lower vibration of the gods that happened by accident. They didn't make it. It's just an accident. I am a Hebrew. I follow the one God, and all this stuff you say is made up are, are, was an accident. My God crafted it my God created it he speaks right to the center of what they believe about the gods and says oh no 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 there's one God and that God has fashioned you and fashioned the water and fashioned the dry land he's being very clear then about their questions and it hits them right in the heart and you get to the end of this passage there's change because he knew their questions he knew who they were it's a great conviction to me as I'm thinking about my two neighbors on, on the other side of my house, to the, the people across the street from me, to the other neighbor, do I know their questions? Do I know what J James is, is struggling with? I do know, because he goes to First Baptist Jackson. He's struggling, I don't go enough there with him. I get invited every week. James is a good Southern Baptist. I keep trying to tell him I'm ordained clergy. But anyway, we're... <laughs> but do I, know, do I know the questions across the street or next door? Jonah hit him right between the eyes because he knew him. He knew their worldview, and he was able to speak to that. And when he spoke, he was very clear. Y'all, we live in a culture that may not be overtly religious, but everybody holds on to this superstitious stuff. Everybody, everybody knocks on wood, and everybody, whatever it might be, right? We've got all these little weird things. What an opportunity for you to not say in a dogmatic way, but to just say, oh, no, no, here's what, here's what we believe. Or have you ever thought about this? Uh, Jonah's clear. And when he's clear about God and clear about the alternative, there's response. And that's the third point. There always has to be response. Uh, he is always calling people to repentance or to response. Tim Keller's got a great book that came out last year called The Prodigal Prophet. Some of you all have been studying The Prodigal God on Luke 15. But this book's about Jonah, The Prodigal Prophet. I recommend it to you. And Tim Keller basically says, when you find Jonah... He's doing what repentance is. He's going, that, he's going in the exact opposite way of Nineveh is where he gets caught. And he has to do a full 180 to get back uh, to where Nineveh is. And that's part of what repentance means, doing a 180. But it also means the change of mind. And that's, I, I think, where God continues to work on me. Maybe he's working on you. Does he need to do a 180 in how I view people, how I value people, and how I think about who I ought to be in kingdom work 180 and that's what you see happening in Jonah's travel but I don't know if you see it happening fully in Jonah's heart when we find him whining at the end of chapter 4 about shade from a plant has he fully repented in turn for a heart for these people who don't know their right hand from their left 
hand. He says what he ought to say here in chapter 1. He says what he ought to say in chapter 3. And both of them have to do with repentance or change. And the good news is they both do that. Maybe they don't do it as fully in chapter 3, but they both, you see here in chapter 1, there's sacrifices and vows made. They, they speak of fear of the one true God because he was faithful to take that opportunity to be clear about God and repentance happens. Looking at this passage again, it's a good reminder for us as the people. I love who we are. I love what our church years ago have said. This is what we're going to center on. This, this, is, this is it. We're going to build faithful disciples, and we're going to serve Jesus Christ. Six different times, God called Nineveh great. We look around the people we do life with or work with, and in your estimation, my estimation, we might not say, boy, what they're doing is not great. But what if God got a hold of them? What if God got a hold of that person in Hollywood or that person in politics, again, that person that you work with, that person that you play with? What if God, there's no telling what could have happened or could happen. There's no telling what could have happened. We said two weeks ago to this culture, 500 B.C., they are the gateway to the East. And in 500 B.C., Taoism, Confucianism, Zoroastrianism, Buddhism, all those things at the exact same time period, and one Hebrew, if he'd have been faithful to stay, there's no telling what could have happened. If he'd have viewed them as God viewed them, people that he'd love to see repent and come home. That's God's view. How is it with you and I? How does God need to change not just our way of thinking, but our way of loving? But how do we be, need to be reminded as well today? He's a God of second chances. He's a God of do-overs. You see it here with Jonah. Sure, he has to send a storm. Then he has to send a fish. But eventually, Jonah does allow himself to be sent. Will you and I allow ourselves to be sent to people and to places that are, that are outside of our comfort zone? Celebrate recovery? It's outside of my comfort zone. But we're going to have a team meeting tomorrow night. Next Sunday, you're going to hear more about salt and light trip to Honduras. For you, another country that may be outside of your comfort zone. God is in the sending business. You see it over and over again of second chances. If we feel we've blown it, if we step back because we've been injured, God says, here's another opportunity to share. Will you and I take that second chance? Let's pray together about that. Father, we thank you for this picture we get of your heart for others. We pray that would be our heart. Soften our, our, our hearts, Holy Spirit, that we be sensitive to others when we might be frustrated, we might be even offended by actions of people, that we'd have your heart and we see them as people who need Jesus and need the love and grace of God. May we have your heart, Father, we pray. We thank you that you're a God of second chances. Whatever recommitment we need to make today, whatever word of hope we need to hear from you today, that you do that for us, I pray we step out in faith in that. Father, I also pray for those who are trying to, to make disciples, to win people to Jesus, you would help them to be faithful in being clear about who you are. Uh, Father, I also pray that though there would be opportunity for us to be faithful, to make sure to say a word of truth and a word of repentance, that we not only share your love and your grace, but we'd also share your truth, that there might be life change, that people might not only know of your grace, but they might live out your grace. We thank you for this call upon our lives. 
uh, to share this wonderful, wonderful word of second chances and life and grace in you. Holy Spirit, just bless us as we respond now to this, your word. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.